You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, DC, and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, good morning again. Uh, like I said earlier, my name is Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at King's, and uh, we started last week a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes called Life Under the Sun, and man, this book has some zingers, doesn't it? It is uh, quite a thrilling and exhilarating book to study during the joys and excitement of summer. Uh, Ecclesiastes does teach us a lot, though, and we're going to learn that even though this book is very unsettling, and although it doesn't really get any better from here, I'm just going to be honest, guys, uh, there's not a point in the book of Ecclesiastes where the plane takes off and we, we feel like we're, we're floating in the skies. Uh, it grounds us in the reality of our humanity. It's unsettling because it speaks honestly to our souls. Uh, last week, just kind of a, a way of review, we talked about how we have this teacher, Solomon, uh, that as Ali was just reading the text, we, we saw the, the teacher speaking. And the teacher, Solomon, is playing this part of the practical secularist we see. The practical secularist is one who uh, has a belief, perhaps, in a God, but looks at the life under the sun. And looks at this life under the sun and says, this is all I have for meaning and for satisfaction and for happiness. And so I look for meaning and things under the sun. And I have to ask the big questions of how do we understand meaning? How do we understand satisfaction? How do we get the answers to the big life questions? Even if there is a God, a practical secularist would say that God is not involved in my life. That, that God is not creating meaning in my life. And so in this book, we're going to see Solomon over and over and over. He's going to talk about his toil, all that he is doing to try to create meaning and satisfaction in life, education, pleasure, money, work, service. And because of death, he will say time and time again, it's meaningless. It's vanity of vanities. He'll use this, this imagery. It's like trying to handle the wind, trying to grasp the wind. We're going to find that as we continue to study in this wonderful, wonderful book of Ecclesiastes, that it acts like a, a bad taste of medicine for us, right? As a kid, I couldn't stand taking cough syrup. Uh, it's like the worst tasting stuff, man. So like when I, when, I, when I just get the smell of it, I just can't stand it. And as a kid, you take that cough syrup, you take that bitterness down, but there's something about that bitterness that actually heals you. The, the, the medicine is good for you, even though it tastes really sour and bitter to you. And that's really kind of how Ecclesiastes will function for us. It's like a spoonful of vanity is actually going to help keep us from the meaninglessness of life. A, a spoonful of this vanity that we're going to experience every single week in the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us lift up our eyes to see that there's more to life than what the teacher is telling us. And today, that's perhaps what we're going to see in our passage, that this teacher, Solomon, is going to go to two different extremes to try to find satisfaction in life under the sun. But both extremes will leave him empty. On one extreme, we'll have Solomon pursue with all his mind wisdom. He's going to try to be the best Ivy League Oxford grad scholar the world has ever seen. He's going to search the depths of wisdom and intellect so much that he's going to have PhDs for his PhDs. He's going to think harder and study harder than anyone else in this world. Think of maybe someone like Albert Einstein, right? What a guy. I mean, look at that. Uh, he just knew how to pose for a selfie, didn't he? That's just uh, that's something else. Uh, we, we use Albert Einstein's name synonymous with intellect in our world. Uh, we use it to, to talk about how people are intellectual and wise. And we're going to see in Solomon, he's going to pursue with his mind the depths of wisdom, and he's going to find no satisfactory answers. 
So he's going to turn to another extreme, one of pleasure. He's going to go from being an Oxford scholar to the life of the party. He's going to become uh, from an educator to a thrill seeker. We're going to take less of Albert Einstein and more of one of my childhood friends here, uh, Ric Flair, uh, WWF, WE champion. Now, some of you are like, who is this guy? If you are Gen Z in this room, you need to get uh, cultured on one of the American icons, okay? Uh, Ric Flair is an American icon. He was a pro wrestler. Newsflash, I like pro wrestling growing up. Uh, I was a wrestler. It's very different from pro wrestling, but I still liked it. Um, Ric Flair really does embody, even in his picture, what it looks like to pursue pleasure life. He pursued this hedonistic life to the fullness. When, when he would introduce himself, this is how hedonistic Ric Flair was. When he would introduce himself, he would say, I'm Ric Flair, the styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, willing, dealing, son of a gun. That's literally how he introduced himself every time. He was so full of pleasure that one reporter asked him about his, uh, his gain, his financial gains, and he looked at the reporter and he says, I have more cars than you have friends. <laughs> like, that's an insult of all insults, right? He would tell, he, he was a womanizer. He would say that I'm every woman's dream and every man's nightmare. Uh, he, went, he once said, told another reporter that I spend more money on one of my robes than most people do in five years. This man pursued pleasure to the extreme. And perhaps his most famous quote, if you know Ric Flair, you know this one. He would say, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I am the man, right? He's so full of himself, <laughs> And this is what a life of pleasure and achievement really looks like. When, when someone goes to the fullest extent, you end up like someone like Ric Flair. Now, what we're going to find today is Solomon is both a mesh of Albert Einstein and Ric Flair. He is the man of his day. There is no one like him. To be the man, you've got to beat the man. And you couldn't beat Solomon in his wisdom and intellect. To be the man, you've got to beat the man. You could not beat Solomon in his achievements and his pursuit of pleasure in this world. And yet, to the extremes that he goes, he still finds himself empty. We're going to find today whether we gravitate towards the pursuit of intellect in our lives, like Einstein, or we pursue more pleasure in our lives, like Ric Flair, or a combination of both, perhaps. We all, at some degree, are seeking satisfaction in this life. We are trying to find deep satisfaction in this life. And Solomon is going to give us a conclusion today that life under the sun, wisdom and pleasure cannot satisfy. We can read all the classics, all the right books. We can have all the stuff that our hearts desire. We can have the most incredible career with achievements. And in the end, Solomon concludes that apart from God, it is meaningless. It's vanity. It's like striving after the wind. And so our main idea today, I'm going to try to turn it to a positive here. Uh, the main idea today is this, that we can find true satisfaction in this life. And true satisfaction in this life comes from knowing God. That in the end of our passage today, we're going to find that true satisfaction in this life and the life we live here and now is found in knowing God. Our outline's going to be on the screen here, and this is what we're going to study. We're going to see the pursuit of wisdom from Solomon. Then we're going to look at the pursuit of pleasure from Solomon, and then we're finally going to see the pursuit of true satisfaction, what it looks like to pursue living a satisfied life here and now in this world. Let's go ahead and jump into the text, the pursuit of wisdom, verse 12 of chapter 1. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, Solomon says. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. 
a chasing after the wind. Solomon introduces this topic of wisdom, and he says it's one of the ways in which we pursue meaning and significance in this life. It's a way that we want to gain something in this life. The question becomes, then, what is the wisdom that Solomon's referring to here when he says that he's pursued it? Well, the wisdom he's referring to, again, he's a practical secularist, meaning that he's thinking apart from God. He's thinking life under the sun. So this is human wisdom. We might say this is wisdom that is the ability to try to sense the complexions of life, the complexities of life, the complications of life. It's, it's a way of trying to make sense of this world. It's a really cherished human value in our society. And Solomon, the teacher, he shows us here that even though some of us may be better at pursuing it than others, we're all in the game. We're all pursuing it on some level. That's because something innate within us is trying to make sense of this world. Something within us is trying to ask the questions, how do we make sense of the complexities of the world in which we live? It's just being part of, of, of the human race. It's being part of humanity. But Solomon says that this task is an unhappy business. He says it's like chasing after the wind. Now, why is it so unhappy to Solomon? Why does he say that this is an unhappy business to seek wisdom? He gives us a bit of a proverb in verse 15 to explain this. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, what wisdom does is it reveals that this world is broken. What wisdom has accomplished for the teacher here is that it's showing something is missing. Something in this life, as he ponders the complexities of it, is crooked. It's bent out of shape, and it cannot be corrected. It's lacking something. Life doesn't add up for Solomon, and he's frustrated with it. And so he says this is an unhappy business to pursue wisdom because it leads us to something is broken in this world. And then he even goes deeper in verse 18. He says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. What's the problem here for Solomon? He says, the more I pursue wisdom, the more confused I am. The more I pursue wisdom, the more broken this life under the sun becomes. The more knowledge I have, the more I grieve. Some of you probably apply that to your study habits, don't you, right? Like the more you study, the more sorrowful you get. Well, here's the tension for Solomon. The tension is, is that there is advantage, there is gain to being wise in this world. The tension for the, the Solomon here is that there is a, a gain in this life to pursue wisdom. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walks in the darkness. He says there's gain to be wise in this world. It's better to be wise than to be a fool. Wisdom gains insight in this world, but then he perceives that something happens to us all, whether we are wise or a fool. He says, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both, death. So I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. 
You see, there's a distinction that I think the teacher is trying to put out there for us in this passage. The distinction is that there are temporary gains and there are lasting gains in this world. There are temporary gains and there are lasting gains in this world. Solomon knows that there's gain in life. There are, are, are things that are good in life. Not all is vain, right? Just think practically for a moment. You eat, and that is a gain because it keeps you living, right? In this summer heat of the swamplands of D.C., for some reason, I'm attracted to every mosquito in this city. But every time I get bit by a mosquito, what I do? I, I itch it because it provides relief, right? There are temporary satisfactions. There are temporary gains in this life. And Solomon says wisdom is one of those. It functions as something that gives us temporary gain. It's better to be wise than to be a fool, but wisdom at its best can only provide light for a moment, he says. Because at the end of the day, even if we have temporary meaning in our intellect and our knowledge in this world, it will only provide lasting meaninglessness, he says. That even if we experience the, the temporary pursuit of intellect in this life, in the end, it only produces future purposelessness. Even if we have the temporary satisfaction of, of being wise in this world, it is only contributing to the long-term dissatisfaction of his soul. You see, the temporary gain is not the same as the everlasting one. The temporary gain that Solomon's talking about here is why this is an unhappy business, because he says wisdom helps us see the way forward, but as we look the way forward, it has a dead end. Wisdom helps us see down the road, but we see that it's a dead end. It's a closed door. Death comes from us all. And he says this is an unhappy business trying to make sense of this world under the sun. And so what does he conclude in verse 17? He says, so I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, if you're a friend of Solomon, this might raise some red flags, right? He begins to say that I hated life. He's in a moment of despair, of sadness, of grieving in his pursuit of wisdom. But I actually think Solomon's response here is the reasonable response. It's actually the right response. You see, sometimes when we deal with passages like this that, that lead us down a, a deep road of despair and sadness, we don't know what to do with it because it unsettles us. We don't like to be filled with sadness and despair. Right? As, a, as a culture, we like to avoid it so much that we try to numb ourselves with entertainment at every chance we get. We try to encourage ourselves at every chance we get because we don't want to deal with sadness and despair of this world. That's why when someone comes up to you and you're in the middle of a day and you're having a terrible day and they ask you how you're doing, you say, I'm okay. You mask it because you don't want to deal with the despair you're feeling in that moment, right? You don't want to deal with the, the sadness that we experience in this world. But I actually think this is perhaps one of those moments, as we said last week, that both the young Solomon and the old Solomon are probably speaking together here. Because in one sense, Solomon's reflecting on his pursuit of wisdom, and it's leading him down a path of a void, of vanity. It's grieving his soul. It's bringing sadness in him. But I think at the same time, this despair is the right attitude for us. Because sadness and despair, when we look at the, world, the way the world is, helps lift our eyes to Jesus. It is in the moments of sadness and despair, when we look at how the world is broken, that we say, how could it be made straight? And it reminds us to look to Jesus. You see, the Christian faith is not one that says, believe in everything is going to be okay. The Christian faith says you believe in a God who even in your darkest moments is your companion. He meets you 
when you're in your despair. He meets you when you are in those moments of sadness. See, Solomon realizes here that, that in this moment, he, he doesn't see a way forward. But Ecclesiastes remind us time and time again that we have to be able to deal with the, the brokenness of this world. We have to be able to deal with the sadness that we feel in this life. Because we don't want to fall into the temptation of life under the sun that just says everything's okay. Right? Everything's okay. The world's decaying away, but everything's okay. Death is inevitable, but everything's okay. No, we should have sadness. We should have despair over the brokenness of this world, but we should know that Jesus Christ, when he faced his ultimate despair and agony, he didn't try to escape it. He went through it on the cross for us. And because he went through it on the cross for us, he promises us until our very end, he will walk with us. The promise of God, Emmanuel, with us is for us. That when we're in our deepest moments of despair, the Bible makes incredible room for sadness. It makes incredible room for us to walk through dark moments like this because we have one who's right there with us. And in this moment, he is realizing how unsatisfied his pursuit of wisdom is. It's an unhappy business for Solomon. So what does he do? Well, he does what a lot of us do, right? When we can't find any objective meaning to the big, the big questions of life, we try to conjure up some subjective meaning with our feelings. And that's precisely what Solomon does. He then goes from the pursuit of his intellect and wisdom to the pursuit of pleasure. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see that w- what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So what does he do? He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water uh, groves of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had servants who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Solomon here goes on a pursuit of every pleasure known to man. He is going to the fullest extent. There is nothing that his eyes desire that he keeps from himself. There is nothing that his heart longs for for that, that he keeps from himself. He doesn't hold anything back. He goes after it completely. But this wasn't just simply what we call like a hedonistic lifestyle, a pursuit of pleasure. We see that he's also trying to achieve good things. He's trying to live for something bigger than himself. He's trying to accomplish things. He builds great houses and vineyards and gardens and fruit trees. And he experiences and builds things that are beautiful. And he tries to work really hard to accomplish things in this world. In essence, we have a guy here who is pursuing a calling. He's trying to pursue doing something good for this world. He's also trying to pursue living the luxurious life that he can afford to himself because of his wealth. He's trying to fulfill every pleasure possible to man, and he's also trying to live a good career-focused, work-based life. He's doing it all. He's going all the way down every single one of those roads. He has experienced the heightened level of entertainment, sex, beauty, money, accomplishment, vocation, status, all of it. And yet, what does he say in verse 11? Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, 
and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then down in verse 22, he continues to reflect on this, and he says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Solomon comes to the end of all of his pursuits of achievement and pleasure, and he says, this isn't going to satisfy either. I was reading an article recently uh, about a a professor from San uh, San Diego State University who was trying to track the the average happiness of people in the United States for the last 50 years. And what she found, which was quite interesting, she says, you would think that because of the, uh, the per capita income increased over the last 50 years, that happiness would also match that pace of increase in, uh, in the United States. But she said that's not the case. In fact, happiness has been relatively linear over the last 50 years, even though we are wealthier and are achieving more than we were 50 years ago as a nation and even as individuals. And she ends her article saying, this is a paradox that is hard to understand. As the standard of living improves, so should happiness, right? But it has not. And she continues to conclude that although some people say that they're happy most of the time, the dissatisfaction of our culture is that we're unhappy and we're unhappy about it. We're unhappy people and we're unhappy about being unhappy, she says. And perhaps when we come to that place, we find ourselves maybe saying, well, we just haven't gone far enough. We just haven't gone deep enough into looking for satisfaction in the things of this world. Perhaps that's why we're unhappy. And so we tend to say things like, if I could just build that house, if I could just have a better love life, if I could just lose the weight, if I could just gain that job. In other words, I just haven't gone far enough down the pursuit of pleasure. And the reason sometimes we feel empty is we say that we haven't gone far enough. But here we have Solomon, who is part of the 0.0001% of people in human history who can do anything he wants to satisfy pleasure. He has gone to the end of it, and he says it's like being stranded on a desert island with some board games, right? I had a dream about this the other night, so I'm going to share my dream. Being on a desert island with some board games. Think of some checkers and uh, Scrabble and Monopoly. You have these fun options every night. You go to the closet, you pull out the stack of board games, but here's the things, the options never change, and you can never leave the island. And that's what Solomon's saying, life is like under the sun. It's like a closet full of games on a deserted island. It's the same old closet with the same stack of games to every generation under the sun. And every generation seeks them out. Art, possessions, entertainment, sex, music, affirmation, work, success. The games seem fun, but they're old, they're tattered, they're worn, and they don't last. And we get to the end of that every night, and we realize that it's vanity. That it's meaninglessness. It won't actually provide lasting satisfaction. Perhaps we would look at Solomon and say, well, you know what, we just need to go further like him. But Solomon says, I've been to the end of that road. And the reason why he's unhappy is not because he's rich or successful. It's not because he's got a good career. He's unhappy because he's got to the end of all those things, and he realizes it's just him still. He realizes that it's failed him in the end, that it can't provide the transcendent satisfaction that he's longing for in his soul. And perhaps some of us would look at Solomon today, and we would kind of look a little judgmental and say, well, of course you didn't find satisfaction with all those hedonistic pleasures. Like a little moderation goes a long way, Solomon, right? Like, you know, wine, wine is good in moderation. Just, you just need to back it up a little bit, 
right? The, th- the entertainment things that you're doing, the festivals that you're going through, the, the things that you're doing, those are all great. You just need to dial it back a little bit. Maybe if you weren't such a workaholic, Solomon, and you had better work hours, you'd be better off. But does morality really provide satisfaction either? What, what does Solomon say? He says, in his pursuit, he still was guided by wisdom. He says in verse 9, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. In other words, does morality or moderation satisfy? No. Because in the end, whether we take a moderation uh, look at the, the vanities of this life or we pursue it to the extreme that Solomon did, at the end, we all end up with the same face of death. In the end, it's meaningless. So Solomon comes to this place where he's like, well, my pursuit of wisdom has led me to an unhappy place. And my pursuit of pleasures has left me in a place where I'm not satisfied. Where did I go from here? Look at verse 24. We see the pursuit of true satisfaction. He says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. Now you read this and you think maybe this is a contradiction because so far nothing has brought meaning and joy. How can now we see meaning and joy being brought into this passage? Well, look what he says next. This too I see is from the hands of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? You see, everything up to this point has been striving after something. And for the very first time, Solomon is receiving something. This whole time, he's been striving after things and it's proven to be vanity. But at this moment, he is receiving something. Satisfaction, meaning, and joy comes from God's grace. It comes from his goodness. In our striving, we'll become frustrated. But when we look and we receive from the hand of God, that's when we find enjoyment in life. And Solomon says these little words that are so important in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can find enjoyment? And the answer we'll see time and time again is that we can't. Apart from God, it is impossible. As one of the early church fathers, St. Augustine, wrote in his book Confessions, he says, For there is a joy that is not given to those who do not love you, God, but only to those who love you for your own sake. You yourself are their joy. Those who do not have this happiness, this satisfaction, he says, are drawn only to images of it. See, what Augustine was saying is that the kind of happiness and satisfactions that our, our, our hearts long for are only found in God. And at the end of the day, if we don't seek it in God, if we seek it for things under the sun, then they will underdeliver. Our work, our pleasure, our money, our relationships, they are images, they are pointers of satisfaction. They are signposts of satisfaction leading us to something greater. But when we treat those signposts as the destination, they will leave us disappointed. And so, so Augustine later quotes in the same book, he says, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you, God. In other words, we will seek and we will strive until we realize that there is no satisfaction apart from knowing God. It is in him that we find our rest. In verse 17, when Solomon, in verse, uh, at the end of this, when he talks about how he not only hated life, but he was restless in life, it wasn't because of his pursuits of intellect, or it wasn't because he was working too hard. It wasn't because he sought pleasure. He was restless because he needed God. And he didn't even know it. He was restless because he wanted something that only God could provide for him. And the same is true for all of us. God is the most supremely satisfying. The questions that Ecclesiastes presents for us is, can there be a pleasure that can continue to surprise us in this life? 
Can there be a satisfaction that does not wear out in this life? Can there be a satisfaction that never disappoints? And Solomon is inviting us here to see that we experience that in God. We are made for him. We are created to enjoy him, to find our enjoyment of and with God. If there is no relationship with God, he says, there is no joy here. It is in relationship with God that we experience pleasure, that we experience satisfaction. But relationships are costly, aren't they? Right, just think of human terms for a moment. If you want to enter into a, a relationship that's satisfying, it costs you things. It will cost you freedoms. When I married my wife, Abby, I couldn't just do whatever I wanted to anymore, right? That would not go well. And the same for her. It was just the tip of the iceberg of freedoms that we would give up to gain something precious in our relationship. And the same is true when we think of our relationship with God. To have a deep and satisfying life with God is to give up all kinds of freedoms so that we can gain greater freedoms in him. It's to give up all kinds of freedoms in this world so that we can gain eternal satisfaction. Here Solomon recognizes that the gifts are from the hand of God. It requires us to give up the freedom to abuse those gifts and look to the one who provides them. It requires us to give up the freedom to use those gifts to, to try to pursue our eternal significance in those things instead of looking to the one that they point to. And in a relationship, when, when two parties come together and they sacrifice for one another, you see something beautiful. You see something satisfying, something that gives you pleasure endlessly. Well, you say two people come together. What does that mean for God then? If it's a relationship with him, does that mean he has to give up freedoms as well? Does that mean God has to give up something? Well, he did. The gospel message reminds us that he goes to the cross, and at the cross, Jesus shows us the greatest loving sacrifice act the world has ever seen. He gives up his life so that we could experience satisfaction. He gives up his life so that we could experience freedom. He goes to the cross to experience agony so that we could experience joy. And what satisfaction in this life, meaning, purpose, is found in knowing God. It's found in pursuing the one who apart from him is just life under the sun. But with him, we can see the good gifts of this life. With him, we can see that there is eternal satisfaction for our souls. With him, we can find rest. But you notice in this text that, that Solomon is talking about the things of this life we can actually enjoy. Because you see, when we pursue a relationship with Jesus, when we pursue knowing God, you know, the old hymn that we sing sometimes, and I love it, but I think perhaps Ecclesiastes is teaching me that it's not completely accurate, right? When it says, turn our eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim, I think that's true in the sense that we don't strive for those things anymore. But here we see that when we turn our eyes to Jesus, the things of this world, even the most mundane things, we can actually finally seek satisfaction and pleasure in. We can actually look at our work and the things that we eat and drink, and we can find joy in those things because we realize that they are gifts from God. We can look at the things of this world, even the most mundane things in this life, and we don't have to chase after them for eternal significance anymore. We can look at those things and say, these are gifts from the God who satisfies my soul. That is the key to true satisfaction in this life. To look at the giver of life. To look at the one who is over it all, the one who meets us with his grace, the one who meets us with his presence. 
the one who is a good father who gives generously to his children. So how do we find joy in this life? How do we find true satisfaction? We find it in the God who made us, the God who has been benevolent to us, and the God who is merciful to us in Jesus Christ. And when we look to Jesus today, that is when we can say, eat, drink, enjoy your toil in this world. Eat, drink, enjoy your work. That is the satisfied life. A life in relation with God, the one who can fill your soul endlessly. So Solomon pursues it in the things of this world. Under the sun, he realizes that they're going to leave us empty. But then when we look to the hand of God, when we look above the sun, and we see that there is one who can satisfy every longing of our souls, we can find meaning in this life. We can find satisfaction. So today as we come to the Lord's table, we come to, to celebrate communion, we come with joy, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes is a heavy book. It leads us down a place of, of despair at times, but in the end, it's a book that tells us that we can actually enjoy life with God, that there's joy to be had in him. Jesus calls himself, he says, I am living water. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. Ultimate satisfaction for our souls. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Complete contentment in him. He is here to meet us today. He can meet you in your deepest despair. He can meet you in your longings. He is the only one who can make straight that which has gone wrong in this world. So let's look to him today, the one who satisfies our souls. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.